The Minds of Meaning Podcast. The Minds of Meaning Podcast. A podcast where we grow together in understanding the unique ways that God has created us. Here's our host, Austin Anderson. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Minds of Meaning podcast. It's hard to believe that we are already a month and a half into this project. I'm excited that you've been able to join us through this journey, whether this is your first time listening or if you're a loyal listener since week one. Today, I interview Pastor Zach Yonko. Zach is currently in his sixth year as the pastor of Vinco Brethren Church in Mineral Point, Pennsylvania, and he is also working on his Master's of Divinity at Ashland University in Ohio. Zach and I became friends at our alma mater, Waynesburg University in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, as we bonded over our interest in English and communication, as well as serving as RAs in an underclassman dorm. It is also our first ever digital edition as I sit in Studio A at the Thompson Center at Judson University while Zach joins us from the Keystone State. Here is our conversation. So me knowing you, I know your faith story and how our paths crossed was really at a significant point of your faith trajectory. If you wouldn't mind us kind of maybe even starting as far back as you want and kind of bring us up to the point and how you fully understood what Christ has done for you and how that led you to your current pastoral journey. Looking at a testimonial faith journey and looking back, sometimes you don't recognize in the moments that God is there. But then as you're reflecting, you can see God's hand all over a faith journey. So I grew up in the Catholic Church. I went to church every Sunday, you know, in the Catholic Church, we call it Mass, and I was heavily involved. So at the age of eight, I specifically remember it was right after church. I looked at my mom and I said, I think I'm supposed to talk about Jesus with people. And that's all I said. So, of course, in my mom's mind, she goes, oh, my goodness, my son's going to be a priest when he grows up. And as I started growing older and started to engage with different priests and bishops, and they all told me basically the same thing, like, oh, you're going to make an excellent priest. You know your Bible, you know the scriptures, and you're able to engage with it in such an intellectual way. But then I started to think like, oh, if I become a priest, that means a life of celibacy, you know, a life of never having a family. And I started to ask those questions, the sort of doctrinal questions of why is that? And as I started wrestling with those questions, I started to get very angry and upset. So around that time was the time I was transitioning to Waynesburg University. So I come on to this campus in Southwest Pennsylvania, and there I was ready to give up faith because I was disgruntled. I've done some deconstruction. I'm going to leave. And it's there I found a community of believers that valued my questions, valued me as a person. They saw that I was on a journey actually looking for Christ. And it is that community on campus that kind of came around me and I regave my life to Christ or gave my life to Christ at a worship service on campus. And from there, you know, I was baptized, just craved Jesus and started getting involved in campus ministry. And it's there, my that eight-year-old self, I could feel him talking to me. I'm supposed to talk to people about Jesus. And that passion rekindled. And I knew I wanted to go to seminary, be a pastor. 
And so it's a journey that people are sprinkled through it. And that's really where I see my story has so many names and faces that I could give shout outs to that helped shape me into the person I am today. Well, that's so good. And even because we were initially both sports communications majors, I was there really when you first came on campus, right? And yeah. I mean, I didn't know you too, to all that point, but there was a, I don't want to phrase this, notorious kind of perception that a lot of us who were in the communication department at Waynesburg really were there for career-minded purposes. And that's not to say there were many people who were really following their faith while doing that, and we can name those people off. But I had just assumed that that was kind of the category that you were in, and I think you would probably say the same thing. And then to see that transformation was just awesome to see. And really by you know the end of freshman year, seeing you at Upper Room, seeing you at all these other functions and learning more about your faith right in that regard was so good to see. So when you specifically look at your Waynesburg time, what is one of the most impactful things from a faith perspective that you learned while studying under the likes of Reverend Josh Sumpter and a few other people at Waynesburg? Yeah. So Josh is a teacher that when someone asks me, who is a professor that has impacted your faith journey more than anyone? I always say Reverend Josh Sumter. Firstly, Josh helped me understand putting the scriptures in its context. John Walton, he quoted him, which was the quote that the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And that really impacted the way scripture was kind of unlocked in front of me as a Bible nerd. And so I would sit down with Professor Sumter and I would just crave asking him questions of context and audience and author. And from that learning style, I was able to apply the scriptures in a contemporary way for me to be on campus alongside fellow students and see how God created my friends and my fellow classmates and seeing their passions for their majors and seeing how those majors mattered, which of course got me tied into the CCO, the Coalition for Christian Outreach, which heavily focused on college majors and minors mattering to the kingdom of God and ways that we are ministers within our fields. So Josh kind of put me on that trajectory. And also I'm attending Ashland Theological Seminary, which is Professor Sumter's alma mater. So following in the footsteps of Reverend Sumter, I like to say. Absolutely. And we'll hit on that later on in our discussion but I'm kind of wanting to keep the center point at this juncture more about Waynesburg and then we'll kind of get to those points later on. With your time at Waynesburg, you also had a lot of focus towards English, right? And you ended up becoming your major and you recently were featured in a Q&A of alumni at Waynesburg. One thing that I read and resonated with me was about your poetry and how you've been able to process poetry and you learned a lot of that from Dr. Bob and Amy Randolph. And with that in mind, how has the linguistic side of faith kind of still stuck with you as you progress? progress through your life. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I approach the Bible like I am walking into a bookstore. So how I envision reading scripture is I'm walking into a bookstore and you have your history section. So you don't read your historical writings the same way you read your poetry. It's like a library in front of you. So my English degree helped me recognize how to read scripture in the genre that the scripture is written in. So when we're 
coming in contact with the Psalms, it's poetry. So as I was equipped in college to learn how to identify certain tools and elements of poetry, I'm able to sit in front of the Psalms, in front of Hebrew poetry, and start to pick up on, oh, are they using a personification here? Like in Proverbs 8, it talks about Lady Wisdom, this personified character standing at the crossroads, calling people to her. And I'm just like, this is exactly the stuff I was learning in college right here in front of me in the scriptures. And so I attribute that education and teaching to those professors that taught me how to read poetry well. That's so good. I think God is a God of language, right? Obviously, you look at Tower of Babel, now there's like so many different languages, but the point being that he speaks through words and articulations and the intentionality of every word that he says, I think that's so important. Another element, obviously, in your life journey that took form at Waynesburg University was finding your wife, Tessa, in the midst of being able to find that how, A, how did you guys really connect? And then B, how has she been able to enhance your walk towards faith as you continued on this trajectory? Yeah, so man, that's, of course, my highlight of college is meeting my wife. You know, there was one day on campus, her and I were hanging out as friends, and I was like, there's going to be a day I don't get to hang out with her anymore. And that's when I realized, like, this is the woman I want to marry. And so that was the moment I knew. And, you know, a lot of people were, oh, my goodness, being a pastor's wife. Oh, it's difficult. It's hard. But the advice I give to young pastors who are recently married is make life's top priority, God, because you're going to want to make it supporting you. You're going to want to make it this. But if their priority is God, your marriage will be healthy because you're able to start working through those tougher things together when they arise within the church. So the way Tessa supported me is by making sure her relationship with God is the most important thing. And then her and I coming together. And like when we have tough questions, when we're reading something in scripture, we have a question, you know, we don't shy away from having hard conversations about things like, oh, you know, why did God allow this to happen in scripture? You know, a great flood and stuff like that. And how should we approach this? And two, Tessa and I both very much prioritize hospitality as a couple. So we're constantly trying to welcome people into our home for a meal, for a time of community, play board games, to have tea and coffee. We never want our space to just be our space. We also want it to simultaneously be a space where we can invite people in. And having that similar desire in our heart has made making community in the place that we reside right now just a top priority and a beautiful thing we've seen blossom together. Austin, you were actually my groomsman in my wedding. Yes. Um, a lot of my groomsmen were first friends with Tessa. So oh, she yeah. has brought so many friends into my life as well. Wasn't that bridal party like 22 total or something crazy like that? It was a lot. 22. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, we're both social butterflies in very different ways. So we just love community. And again, that's something we do together as a couple. So now that we've kind of transitioned from kind of bringing Tessa from out of Waynesburg now into to the fold. Let's think about your ministry as a general whole. What's kind of a day in the life of Zach Yonko when it comes to being a pastor? So for me, I am currently in Mineral Point, Pennsylvania 
It's also known as the Village of Vinco, which my church is called Vinco Brethren Church. And we're more in a rural, outside of like a suburb city area. And my context is more on the older side. So the average age, I would say, is 65 years and older in our church. So an average day in my life is, and this is what I love about being a pastor, is every day looks different. So let's take today, for example, I woke up in the morning, had my cup of coffee, and then I met a pastor who wanted to meet me and grab some breakfast together. On top of that, as I'm driving out to this breakfast spot, I'm on the phone with one of my congregants, making sure her husband's okay because he's getting gallbladder surgery. So I'm getting updates about that, having breakfast with another pastor. Then right after that, I'm off to a viewing for um, a congregant's nephew. And so that's just today. And then the next day, it might head over to the church, be in the office for a little bit, might meet someone to go over different music that we want to try or something like that. So I might have a meeting in the morning. Another day might be something completely different. I might be down at the hospital praying over people or in a couple of weeks, I'll be speaking at a school in town. So every day is different. And that's what I love about being a pastor in a small town is you're just out and about meeting people doing life alongside them. They get to see my authentic side, not just me in a church building, but me outside of church. So Vinco Brethren Church, so it's part of the Brethren Church. And I know there's a couple denominations. I'm trying to be careful with how I say the name of it. But with that in mind, you have quickly made connections and have put your stamp in the Brethren Church to the point now where you're doing a lot with the conference, like the Engage conference that you're part of recently. How did you really start to make these connections and really weave your way into the fold of the Brethren Church? Yeah, so right now, I am the youngest pastor in our denomination as a whole. So I'm 27 now. I started in the Brethren Church when I was 22, and I'm still the youngest pastor. So I have just gotten to know pastors from other churches, other leaders, professors, just through going to conferences and networking and getting to know them from around not only the United States, but around the world as well, because there are brother in churches, in South Africa, India. So, you know, we also have churches around the world as well. And so just through getting to know these different pastors, I just was hungry to learn from my fellow brethren. And I really found a home in this denomination. So the Brethren Church, of course, you have all of the breakoffs from it, Church of the Brethren, Grace Brethren. So you have, you know, those cousins were cousins with the Methodist Church, were cousins with the Mennonite Church. There's a lot of relatives with the Brethren Church. But I really started to want to learn, like, what is this denomination all about? And they really value word and spirit, spirit and truth, mind and heart. You know, they're really balanced with their doctrine and really humble approach to theology. And that's what I really love about the Brethren Church. And our history runs really, really deep as well. Uh, And so I got involved with that. And through getting involved with the Brethren Church, there's been many opportunities to travel to different conferences, speak at conferences, be involved in conferences. This past year, my wife and I were co-MCs for the denominational conference 
conference on top of I also got to run some Q&A sessions at our main sessions as well and get to do that with our denomination. So I've really found a home with the brethren. And I guess I'm charismatic in a sense that I just am hungry to build community and learn. And something else I love about the brethren is we ordain women in the denomination. So I've learned from great brothers and sisters and getting to hear their insights and exegesis has been just so sobering for me developing my theology. What really makes part of your ministry so fascinating, Zach, is the fact that you're in a church, the Brethren Church, where I think they're being open to a lot of ideas that lead some people to say they're open-minded more than a lot of straight buttoned up churches that find themselves more in a rural setting. So how do you find that balance between these ideas that have allowed the church to really build its identity, but at the same time catering to a congregation that might be a little bit more traditional in its understanding of Christ? Yeah, there's two things that I think comes to mind. The first is that the Brethren Church recognizes that we are embodied, right? It says in scripture that we now become the temples for the Holy Spirit. So there's some sort of spiritual embodiment. And then Jesus says he's incarnate, right? He is the word became flesh. He made his temple or his synagogue among us, right? So this place that people would go to is tabernacle. That's the word I was looking for, among us. And so as people who embody this truth, there is a nuance that we look at and we look at people and we say, wow, people matter. And when we start doing theology, apart from thinking about people, we can get kind of lost in our own head, right? We start craving knowledge more than bringing the kingdom to people that Jesus died for. So that's what I really love about the emphasis in the brother churches is we need to value and check our theology, especially in light of the lost that Jesus came to seek and save. The second thing is the Brethren Church really values the prayerful acknowledgement of nuance, right? We get so caught up in some issues that are not black and white. And so the Brethren Church says there's a lot of nuance. This is what I love about the Brethren Church is we come to consensuses. So we have long discussions and value the voices that are brought into trying to find consensuses. So we may have vastly opposing views, but then when we start to talk, it's like we're inching closer and closer to each other because we value that relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters. So again, it's not what you hear when there's general church assemblies for denominations, you know, big denominations in the United States or around the world. And that's what I love about our denomination is we really value our relationships with one another. Yes, I think community in general is a lost art in many ways now. And I hate to even call it an art because it shouldn't even be an art, right? It should just be naturally stemming. And, you know, obviously there was a pandemic that was involved in a bunch of other things, but I'm encouraged that a denomination like the Brethren Church is putting community at that high of a level. And that's just so, so important. And speaking of kind of that community element, you entrench yourself in a community of fellow theological scholars, as you mentioned earlier, went to Ashland University and you're still progressing towards your Masters of Divinity. And so with that in mind, who are some of your favorite theologians that you're learning from, whether professors actually at the course or even just some in your readings that you've come across? Yeah, I'm definitely going to miss a few, but so this is just off the cuff. So 
The first one that comes to mind is Dr. Tim Mackey from The Bible Project. I really value his approach to scripture and again, how he puts scripture in its context, like how Josh Sumter taught me at Waynesburg University. I really appreciate Dr. Carmen Imes and her approach to Exodus. She makes a lot of difficult scripture make sense in the light of the book Exodus and the way it points to where God is heading and how God wants to communicate and commune with the Israelites. So I really appreciate her work. Esau Macaulay out at Wheaton. I love his desire for a diverse group approach to scripture that, you know, people are going to pick up on scripture that we may overlook and we need to be in community with one another. So I really appreciate Dr. Macaulay's work, Dr. John Walton. I really appreciate his approach to the Old Testament and humbling ourselves that we are not the original audience to those texts. Also, Sky Jatani and Bill Vischer and Caitlin Shess from The Holy Post. I know we are both avid listeners of that podcast. They have done very thoughtful communication of how to think in this world, in the mindset of being a Christian believer, but also that there are definite contextual and contemporary things going on in our world. So I really appreciate them. So those are just a few that I can think of off the cuff, but Beth Allison Barr, Kristen Kobe Dumez, people like that, those are just some that come to mind right away. I think a lot of the people you mentioned and the beauty of it is that, I mean, there's certainly room for the N.T. Wrights that I know you're a fan of, you've enjoyed his work, and the other more traditional, John Piper's, the more traditional expository, like, this is what the Bible says, and we need that, absolutely, like, we can't draw too far away from that. But a lot of the pastors at theologians that you've been following recently are trying to take it in a healthy light, but looking at it from maybe a slightly different perspective than we as a church society have been looking at for the last 30, 40, 50 years. I think there's a lot of good truth to that. While we're talking about your work in Ashland, a couple of the classes that you mentioned you're currently taking include a varieties of early Christian thought, and that just sounds very fascinating. And then also the Forming the People of God, which is discipleship class. If you wouldn't mind just elaborating a little bit more of what you're currently studying, because those are both very fascinating topics in the scope of theology. Yeah, so Varieties of Christian Thought was a history class that was offered this semester that is actually being taught by one of my friends, Dr. Jason Barnhart. And the class is meant to look at the church mothers and the church fathers from the early centuries. So, you know, Athanasia and Augustine. And what we're trying to focus on is like, these are individuals that more contemporary theologians, they read their stuff. Like, why is their stuff so timeless? What kind of counter councils happen, like the Council of Nicaea, and why was that so important? And so we're trying to learn the contextual importance of those church mothers and church fathers with their tradition and theology. So it is a history class, but we're trying to sculpt that class to learn ourselves, like, why is this stuff important? Why should we be reading this stuff today? So really excited about that class, and I'm in uh, my second week of it. My other class that I'm taking, Forming the People of God, is a really 
really practical discipleship. Why is discipleship in the local church important? And why do we sometimes forsake discipleship for getting church numbers or listening to the pastor just preach like discipleship beyond the one hour in a church building? And I really think that that class is beneficial to myself as a local church pastor. I'm really excited to take those two courses. That sounds so fascinating. And I think one thing, especially about that mentality of the early faith is, and you hit on it a little bit, but one thing I've been learning more and appreciating more about my faith is the fact that the evangelical experience is only 500 years old, if that, right, depending on when you consider the start of that. And God moved through the church between Jesus's ascension and the evangelical church. He didn't go deaf ears for 1500 years until Luther, you know, came up and was like, aha, and then we're like, oh, okay, now God's back, right? So in some of that learning, how have you processed and taken in that God has worked through mainly the Catholic Church at that point, but even just believers in general, kind of from that 1500 year mark or so. Yeah, for myself, it makes me appreciate even my own story more. Like I said earlier, I was really jaded being in the Catholic Church, but learning about this makes me appreciate some things that I even learned as a child being brought up in the Catholic Church. The defense of a triune God, right? Father, Son, and Spirit was a real obstacle for some of these church mothers and fathers. So learning these things in their context makes me start to appreciate how God has been so faithful and sovereign and good, impacting those times so far back then that I'm here where I am today because these church mothers and fathers who have defended things, have debated things, have been in communion with things in their tradition and theology. That's so good. I know you're a big connoisseur as we kind of get to the last third or so of our discussion. You're a big connoisseur of media in general in a good light, right? And when I say media, I'm saying anything that's not conversation in person. So starting off with your love for reading, and we've talked about this a little bit, but you're a big reader and you really process that. And I see on your social media posts, oh, I just read this book. And I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. This is the most recent book I think you've read, which is called Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement by Justin Gibney, Michael Weir, and Chris Butler. You know, I think as we're getting closer to another election, it's important for all of us who call ourselves believers in Christ to not just jump at the first opinion we see, right? Not just jump at the shock factor headline and just assume we're going to take a side on something, right? So from your perspective of that book, what are some insights that you took away from that, which can kind of lead towards the next upcoming election? Yeah, so the book Compassion and Conviction really starts to ask us the question, people who are registered voters in the United States, who are we being discipled by? is their kind of heartbeat to the book, their question of, are we discipled by the political news that we're watching or opinion news that we're watching or by Jesus Christ? And again, some of that nuance that we read about, like they'll quote, you know, Micah, the walk humbly, serve your God, love your neighbor. They'll quote the great commandment. And so their question is, how are we filtering our politics? Are we letting our politics filter our theology or vice versa? 
Are we letting our theology and the person of Jesus Christ be able to help us filter a lot of the noise that is in our day in and day out life? Like you said, Austin, I love media, but I'm also viewing media through my identity within Christ, not the opposite. So that book, again, really asks the challenging question of, you know, are we giving up our Christian identity to take, you know, a stand in a political side? Or are we saying, you know what, a lot of this stuff is hard, and we need to have very adult and compassionate and humble conversations, while also being a people of conviction as well. But can we be in community like that? And I think this book is birthed out of just a view of our current society of how polarized we are. And it's a call to say, you know what, in Jesus, those are your brothers and sisters. And how can we start to sit around the table once again together. So now the last couple of questions be a little more specific in certain avenues than media. And the first one is social media. And you use Instagram, TikTok, Facebook to talk a lot about films and critique them in a really neat way. And you have some following, especially on the TikTok side of things. With that in mind, you talk about how money tends to be a neutral thing. Social media, I think at its core is neutral as well. Obviously, you're using it in a way that is seeming to be, if not God honoring in a productive way, at least in one area, right? But obviously there's people who use it that are more using it for not good reasons. In the midst of that, how, especially when you're talking about content that's neutral, how do you put your light of Christ in and influence that even if you're not even directly talking about Christ within this contextual review? Yeah, I was actually recently asked a question very similar to that, Austin. And my response was that God created good, right? It says that in Genesis chapter one, God created and it was good. And I think what often we have started to equate good with is outwardly Christian. It's not dead movie or pure flicks movie or K-Love radio, then it's not good. But God is a creator God and he is creative. I'm viewing media through that lens of Christ. And so I started to realize that there is community that can be made through creation of good things. So recently I started a board game club with a couple guys and it's grown to eight or nine guys. And we play board games in the church. You know, board games is not outwardly Christian, right? But the community and the conversations that are had around those games, man, I can see God at work. And so same goes for social media, that when I do like a movie review or show a clip that just made me laugh, the community that's created around that often, you know, how people say like, Oh, I didn't know you were a pastor. That's really interesting. Tell me more about why you like movies and reviews so much. and You're not on here just like jamming the Bible down my throat and hitting me over the head with it. I tried and then that opens doors to be able to explain that lived out like how can scripture be lived lived out and talked about and be in the very core of your soul while also enjoying the good creative things here on earth. And that kind of has a similar light to the humor that we both enjoy. Three of our favorite TV shows that come to mind earlier in college, Dr. Steve Brule with John C. Riley as this maniac reporter, and then shifting that towards Nathan for you, Nathan Fielder, who's kind of come onto the comedy scene, has been really polarizing with some of his antics. And then also most recently, 
Tim Robinson with I Think You Should Leave. And he has a lot of craziness in the midst of that. And I think coming to the appreciation of this, there's a couple of things. One is that, especially in Nathan's pondering of life throughout all of his shows, especially with the rehearsal, which is his sequel show that just came out recently, there have been some enlightening discussions, even like Christianity Today and stuff. I don't know if you've seen those articles that like talk about the faith element of that. But even aside from that, one trait of these shows that as you're going back to your external Christian thought, there are certainly some jokes that would not be buttoned down externally pleasing to that camp, right? And I take more of a, this is humorous in the moment, but I'm not necessarily agreeing with everything they say. But in that balance specifically, looking at media where we find ourselves potentially even laughing at something that we wouldn't necessarily even believe in, but the humor is there. How do we justify tying that back around to our faith in Christ, even though we're taking in this content that at one level is very funny, but at the same time, might not 100% align with what God says? I think it's because we live in a world that that is the reality of conversations that we can find ourselves in with other people. And so for myself, I start to realize the realness of like, oh, that humor, I know someone who has that kind of humor, or I know someone who's done something or said something similar to that. So it draws me into the reality of the world that I live in. And it allows me to understand people I come into contact with so much more clearer if I wasn't kind of understanding humor and the nuances of it, if I wasn't doing that. So in the scripture, it says, use your gifts, hobbies, and your giftedness to make friends. And I always like, that's such a weird verse smack dab in the middle of Paul's storytelling. <laughs> and how often we fail to do that because we want to Christianize or take like a righteous high ground with things rather than see the reality of the friends we could be making in front of us and bridge that. So I often find when I'm watching a comedy show or something like that, I'm like, these are the people that I am going to be in contact with more so than anyone else. So I don't know, that's the way I gauge comedy and stuff like that. And you also have to be able to filter things through, right? Have the maturity to do that as well. So so just like Paul said, if you think eating meat is wrong, then don't do it. But also recognize that the Gentiles are going to do that and be in communion with them. So there's like limits to things and there's a social intelligence and a an emotional intelligence that goes into all of this. Well, Zach, I am just so thankful that you took the time to talk with us. Is there any final thoughts, words of wisdom, anything that comes to mind just in terms of your scope and understanding of what Christ has done? for you? Well, I've really appreciated this podcast, Austin. I've listened to all the other episodes that have been already out. And what I really love about what you are putting together here is this idea that there's such diverse minds and diverse people, and they all matter in the kingdom of God. So the last piece of advice I would give is every person that you come into contact with is made in the image of God. And when we start at that base level, it should change how we look at people, how we respond to people. It allows us to have mercy and grace. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you are doing to me. So that is the last piece of wisdom I guess I want to leave is that I can hear that heartbeat of that verse in this podcast. And I've really appreciated the guests that you have brought on and also your story in episode one, Austin, hearing that heartbeat of the people you've encountered in life. 
A thank you to Zach for joining us. Zach had the perfect segue into a point I wanted to make as we concluded our fourth episode together. I want to encourage you all, if you have not already done so, to listen to episode one. It includes so much content about the purpose of this podcast, the health difficulties that I experienced, and provides motivation for this community that loves and serves the Lord in the unique ways that we were created. Thank you all once again for tuning in, and we'll be back soon for episode five. So long for now. Thank you for listening to the Minds of Meaning podcast. To learn more about Minds of Meaning, visit mindsofmeaning.com or Minds of Meaning on the mainstream social media platforms. God bless. God bless.